0: We turn now for our New Testament reading to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. We are going to pick up, actually, at verse uh, 21. This is on page 857 of our Pew Bibles. Uh, We've been seeing this Christmas season how how Luke interweaves the story of John and Jesus, uh, the birth of the baptist and the birth of the savior and uh, here uh, we get an account of jesus's uh, presentation in the temple that is lacking in john there's no parallel there so this is another way that 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 luke is telling us that that jesus excels is greater than john the baptist and here we end in the temple where we began with Zechariah. And while the uh, prepared and purified priest of the Lord is blind to faith in the promise of the Messiah, uh, two humble Israelites have faith. They are expectantly awaiting uh, the promise. And Simeon, who we'll focus on today, but also Anna, uh, are great models for us this New Year's Day. They give us hope and confidence that we have peace in the Lord, our Savior, uh, in their patient faith. That endured for many years. And so we will look to them. Uh, three broad outlines here. I want us to see how Jesus is presented as the fulfillment of the law. He fulfills the law of the Lord, and He is Israel's glory for that reason. Second, Simeon's song, which we will sing, rejoices at beholding the Lord's salvation and being at peace with that vision. And finally, uh, Simeon foretells the Christ will be a stumbling stone, a rock of offense. In other words, Simeon calls us to faith and trust, for not all will put their confidence in this foundation. This is God's holy word for us today, beginning uh, where we ended last week in verse 21. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Uh, Join me in our prayer for illumination. Our Father, we have heard wonderful things out of thy word. We praise you for revealing Christ as the fulfillment of the Old Testament and ask you to give us your spirit so that we may understand the fullness of your truth. Amen. Please be seated. Well, New Year's Day is sort of a, a curious holiday. Um, the psalmist tells us in Psalm 90, uh, ask the Lord to teach us to number our years. And New Year's Day is a, a secular numbering of the years. Literally, it's now 2023. We had to make sure that that change was made on the bulletin, right? Luke got it, nailed it. Uh, one down. No, it says 2022. Oh, I didn't. Oh. <laughs> Luke, I did not do that on purpose. I promise you. So it's hard. It's hard to number our years well. But the psalmist in Psalm 90, I just want to come back to that song we sang earlier, is crying out um, from a place of affliction. God, what, why do you number our sins? Why are we under these curses? Why is life so hard under the sun? God, come back. He's crying out for better days. For all the years of misery that we've had, please add to our ledger some years of blessing. It's like those two mountains, right? The mountain of cursing and the mountain of blessing. And the Old Testament constantly asks God's people, which mountain are you on? Which are you standing under this day? A curse or a blessing? And so, in our secular fashion, we have a big party. Many people go out and, and sing all Lang Syne and count down the ball and we, we wash away all the, all the sins, all the failures of the last year. And we look forward to a new year, and it'll be better because we make resolutions. The question is each and every year, as we number our years, as we we count what wisdom is, what are we living for? What do we hope to be different in the new year? I know many of you, I know your your lives. Some of you look to buy and sell a new home, some look to get a new job, some uh, have brought children into this world. You hope to raise them, you are expecting children. What are we living for? The years sweep away like a flood. They're a dream. Every day, grass grows and it withers. It grows and it withers. But the Lord endures. A day is as a thousand years to Him. A thousand years is as a day. And so the question that presents us in this text, right, as Simeon is is presented to us as someone waiting for the consolation, waiting for the comfort of the Lord... His life under the sun. Where's their hope in this world? It's not to be found down here below. That's what the psalmist is teaching us. That's what Simeon teaches us. That's what the gospel teaches us. So let's let's look and see now. As, as Simeon in this psalm comes down to us in, in the Latin West of the Church as the Nunc Dimittis, sort of an odd title. It's the first two Latin words. Uh, now. It's, it's in the second person. Now, O oh Lord, you may dismiss me. Now, Lord, release me. That's what he's praying. That's what the Nunc dimittis is. Now I go in peace. And why does Simeon go in peace? Because of the gospel. Because he's seen his salvation. And the foundation of that really is is Luke is presenting. And and remember, this is the same Luke who writes the gospel, but he also writes the Acts of the Apostles. He, he, He teaches us, he records for us how this good news of Jesus Christ was not only good news for Israel, but how it becomes a gospel that can be preached in Rome and Ephesus and Galatia all over the world for people that aren't in the temple waiting for the Lord to come. This light to the Gentiles. Luke is explaining here at the beginning what the message is that will go to the whole world. When the temple is no more. And look here, in verse. the reason I read our last verse from last week, verse 21 and verse 22, is that both of these two uh, verses in in the Greek open with the same four Greek words. You know, when, when the Bible repeats a word, it's usually for emphasis, it's important. When the Bible repeats a phrase, it's really important. And the phrase is, and when fulfilled were the days. And when fulfilled were the days. The first phrase in verse 21, and when fulfilled were the eight days for circumcision, he was circumcised. And verse 22, and when fulfilled were the days for purification, he was brought and presented. Twice we read this Greek word for presented. The only presence given at Christmas time in the Bible is the presentation of Jesus in the temple. He's dedicated to the Lord. We might paraphrase this expression in the fullness of time. Luke traveled with Paul, and Paul was fond of this expression, right? Paul says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons, to redeem, to purchase us out from under the law. So Luke has been building rhetorically this theme of fulfillment throughout filling days, times, pregnancies, seasons are fulfilled. They come to their end. And the Holy Spirit also the same root verb fills God's people. It fills Simeon, Simeon, Zachariah, Mary, Elizabeth. One can imagine that Luke, as he's writing this words, is thinking of Paul's preaching in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time. And here in climactic fashion, Luke makes it as plain as day, what is being fulfilled with the birth of Jesus Christ? The law of the Lord. The law's requirement of circumcision. The law's requirement of purification. According to the law of Moses, he says. Three times in these opening verses, Luke repeats the phrase, the law of the Lord. The third and last time is in the closing verse of this account of the Nativity, down at the end there, in verses 39 and 40. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Nazareth, and the child grew, and the grace of God was upon him. The law was fulfilled, now grace had come. seems like a pretty obvious phrase, the law of the Lord. I thought, huh, I wonder where we find that in the rest of the Bible. And strangely enough, it's not used very often. Torah out of nine. It's only used once in the entire Torah. In the law of the Lord, the law of the Lord is a phrase, is only used once, and that's in Exodus 13. We'll return to that. But it is used in the Psalter. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That's the Messiah. That's the Lord's Christ. He's the Lord's Christ because he delights in the law of the Lord. Psalm 19, the other psalm celebrating God's law. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. Psalm 119, the great celebration of God's law. It's so an acrostic, the longest psalm in the Bible. Opens with these words. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. Who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep its testimonies. Who seek him with their whole heart. Whole soul. Whole mind. Whole strength we might add. Who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. Now which Israelite was able to do all this stuff? None of them. That's the problem. So this phrase, the Torah Adonai, is only found once in the Torah, but it's found in the Psalter as Israel sings, prays, longs for its Messiah to come who could truly lead her. Now I mentioned, remember, Exodus 13. The one other time this expression is found. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Luke cites Exodus 13 in our passage. That's why they're in the temple. They have to bring their firstborn child... To the temple. Why? Do you know why that was a commandment for the Israelites? Here in chapter 13, Moses is instituting the Passover. That annual celebration of the great Exodus event. The final play. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. And he writes in Exodus 13, You shall tell your son on that day, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand, as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. That's not a law in a book. It's not a law on a stone. It's a law written on your heart. The firstborn died through Egypt that night. The night of the Passover. Every firstborn child, the greatest plague, the plague that drove Pharaoh finally insane to scream for Israel to leave. For the holy God had come and visited that angel of death. But Israel was preserved by the blood of the Lamb of God. Israel was preserved. The angel of death passed over. The curse, all of those curses that we read about did not fall on Israel because there was blood. Of the land. And as a result. God tells Israel. At the very day of the exodus. You owe me. You owe me your firstborn. Because you're a sinner. They're not yours. They're mine. Now Israel. And the tabernacle. The temple taught us of grace. Israel could buy that child back remember Hannah who a lot of these stories are patterned after she has this child in answer to prayer 1st Samuel becomes the prophet Samuel 1st Samuel that's funny hi 1st Samuel as if that was his name right Hannah dedicates and literally gives the son to the temple he's raised by the priest and he becomes a great prophet that's what we should do it's God's right to take our children but he says you can pay a tax a redemption and get your child back but the principle is the same And that's what Mary and Joseph are there to do. They're there to purify and to buy back, to redeem back their child. Or perhaps they're there to set him apart for holy service as Samuel was set apart. Luke is using this background for us to show that Jesus Christ, the firstborn son of God, is set apart. That this son is the lamb of God. Who takes away the sin of the world? And this Israelite, born under the law, born of a woman, would be set apart and holy, the only true holy Israelite who kept God's law perfectly, the one who gets to stand under the mountain of blessing to redeem all those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons, to set us free. He pays the price. He fulfilled the law of the Lord. And this is the foundation. This is why Luke's telling the story this way. This is why Simeon rejoices. And so we're going to turn now to Simeon's uh, reception. But but that's what's going on in this passage. And that's why Luke finishes. When they had done everything that the law of the Lord required. That's not just around this time period in Jesus' life. That's a symbol of everything that Jesus will do his whole life. He will be the true blameless one. Now Simeon... uh, is introduced to us by Luke as a waiting, a righteous and devout man waiting for the consolation of Israel. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. And this word consolation is not a word we use every day. Um, it's the same word for comfort or encouragement. And indeed, we find this word three times in Isaiah. We've, we've been reading a lot of Isaiah Old Testament passages. If you know anything about Advent, Christmas, lessons and carols, Isaiah is, is the great prophetic blueprint for the new Exodus, this work of salvation God does in Christ. And you remember in Isaiah 40, he cries out, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and comfort her. Her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Isaiah is prophesying the time when God's prophets will be able to proclaim peace for Israel, not warfare, because her sins will have been forgiven. I keep thinking of Luke traveling around with Paul. And Paul loves this word comfort. He uses it 20 times in his letter. It's translated a lot of different ways. It's the word for exhortation. It's the word for encourage. Uh, The preacher, what Paul's vision of what a preacher is, he writes in 1 Corinthians 14, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and for their comfort, for their encouragement and consolation. That's my job. That's Luke's job. That's every preacher's job. To speak comfort, like Isaiah said, would be foretold based on the forgiveness of your sins. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul starts with a whole paragraph. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction. Of course, in our Reformed faith, our catechism opens with this question. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Simeon has been waiting for the consolation, for the comfort of Israel. And this, this is what Jesus brings. Do you see what, what Luke's telling us here? A faithful Israelite in the temple. And we have this picture of Simeon as an old person because he sort of refers obliquely to his death. But who knows, maybe Simeon in the Bible was our Simeon's age. Simeon's not here, it's a shame. We're preaching on his namesake um, Maybe he was a 25, 30 year old dude. We don't know that. All we know is that he had been given this promise that he would see with his eyes before he died the comfort of Israel. Now, it's worth pausing here to think what that means. Yes, of course, we confess that the gospel is the central theme of the Bible from Genesis to the book of Revelation. We confess that the good news in the Old and New Testament, is the same. We confess that saints in the Old Testament were saved by faith alone, were saved by faith in the promise of the coming Redeemer. There's a continuity, an agreement between the Old and New Testament. But this here, brothers and sisters, is a massive discontinuity. Simeon's waiting for comfort. There isn't any comfort. There's no comfort in the tabernacle. There's no comfort there. Yes, there are promises, there are types, there are shadows. But this is the darkness into which the light of Jesus Christ shines. The promise of comfort is not the same thing as comfort. And if you've ever had a bad day or a bad year, you know what I mean. Simeon has been living, as it were, an uncomforted and an uncomfortable existence. One of my favorite verses in the book of Hebrews. Is that Jesus came. He took on human flesh to deliver those who lived in the fear of death. To defeat the devil who had the power of death. Simeon was living under the fear of death. The law that he lived under said that if he broke the fourth commandment. If he didn't rest on the, on the day of worship. He could be killed. A boy was stoned in the Old Testament for collecting sticks. He could be killed, capital punishment, for taking the Lord's name in vain. Thank the Lord in heaven. That's no longer the law we live under. (laughs) Death for so many sins. And not only his personal death, but the nation was subject to exile. Driven out of their land. Oppression by foreign armies because of their sins. And Simeon had been told that he would see The Messiah. He had this special revelation. And now the law of the Lord had brought the Messiah of the Lord to him. The Lord's Christ. Born of a woman. Born at the fullness of time. And maybe that's why he was in the temple. Because he knew if the Savior came, he would keep the law. He would be there making this purification sacrifice in the temple. This gift of redemption. Simeon, in the Spirit, sees Jesus, the Christ Child, the Lord's Christ, the Messiah, and by a miracle of inspiration. So this isn't our, everyone's experience here, but he has given this revelation, supernatural revelation, that he sees his own salvation in this child. It's it's a great gift always for churches to have children and infants in their midst. We had a. a practically newborn less than a month old baby, Ebenezer with us last Sunday in worship. we had him in our in our home for Christmas dinner as well he didn 't eat much, um, not much gravy, but as we sat in that room, and the baby just slept there, swaddled in a manger i mean that 's all he did the The reality of Christmas really sunk in totally helpless, totally powerless. God made man. God in the flesh. And Simeon sees this child. This probably, this time of purification was 33 days, probably after circumcision. So maybe 41 days, 40 days after his birth. A child. Helpless. And he sees his Savior. Out of all the babies being presented in the temple, there were probably a lot of them. Simeon's song, as I said, the Num Dimittis praises God and says, God, now you can set me free. You've done your part. You've fulfilled your bargain. This idea, this word for for being dismissed, it's a very broad word. It's for being set free or released or untied. But Simeon says, I am your servant, Lord, and now you're casting me free. It's as though Simeon were a slave. But now he owes God nothing. Because Christ has come as the servant of the Lord. Simeon is... This word can even mean forgiven. Now forgive me, Lord. For he has the comfort which Isaiah foretold would be for God's people when the forgiveness of their sins was proclaimed. And the Israelites in this time, in the time of the New Testament, thought of the law as their glory. It singled them out as a unique nation. They had this ancient heritage that God had appeared to Moses on the mountain and given them the law. And the law was their glory. And and they lived... A strange life as foreigners in foreign lands all throughout the Roman Empire. In Persia, in Babylon, in Egypt, in Alexandria. They lived strange lives. They kept the Sabbath day where they didn't cook or or heat their homes with fire. They ate different foods. They didn't take part in, in the parties and in the celebrations. They were strangers. The law was their glory. But what they were saying is, our law keeping is our glory. Look at how good we can keep God's law. But Simeon sings, Israel's glory has now come. The true glory of Israel because an Israelite has been born who will keep everything written in the law of the Lord. And because, because this true Israelite has come who has fulfilled the law of God, the light of the gospel goes to all the nations. You couldn't keep the Old Testament law if you didn't live in the Holy Land. It's awfully hard to get to Jerusalem three times a year. And in fact, those lands outside of Israel were ritually impure. Gentiles were dogs because they couldn't be holy. And in Luke's telling of the gospel, the angel comes to the holy priest, no one more typically ritually purified. And I listened to one of my colleagues preach a Christmas sermon on the same text, and he made a better point than I did last week. Shepherds were ritually impure, for they were mixing with animals. Shepherds couldn't be pure. And yet when the angels come to them, they go to Christ. Who, by the way, the reason we have a ceremony for purification is because Mary is impure. Because of the blood of the birth. And Jesus is impure. They're all, Joseph is probably impure. And yet, they don't come to the temple to get pure. Jesus is the Holy One of God who brings purity to the temple. He fulfills the law. And now that this little tiny powerless baby has come. Fulfilling every one of God's commands. Loving him with his whole heart, soul, mind and strength. For every moment of his existence. Every promise of the Lord is yes and amen. All of us. Anyone who trusts in Christ. Gets to sit under the mountain of blessing. Israel's glory has now become a light for all nations. I guarantee you. I I didn't hold Ebenezer last week. You know it's still early. But you hold Ebenezer, you, you really, it's hard to imagine like Ebenezer like beating up on you or wielding a sword or judging you, right? He's a little baby. I guarantee you that Simeon held this baby up, full of grace. And he knew that God was the one giving a gift here to him in this child. So that's the light of salvation which shines in the nation. So, so Luke is telling the story of Paul's gospel here in an image. The law is fulfilled and now the gospel goes forth grace, favor, peace. And Simeon says, I can go now. I'm free. I'm free from all that bondage. And brothers and sisters, I pray that for you, as you look to the new year, maybe there are threats, maybe there are promises, maybe there's things you're worried about. God's got it. He's in charge. We will receive blessings from the Lord. Yes, perhaps in the midst of trial and affliction but we will receive blessings. And that really brings us to Simeon's additional word here as he turns to Mary. And he foretells in my third point here that Christ will be a rock of offense. Simeon's song is not the end of his spirit-filled proclamation as he blesses the holy family and speaks a word to Mary. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. It seems like an odd, even a rather dark or grim word of blessing to give to a new mother. Congratulations on the baby. You know, he's going to be opposed by lots of people. Good days, bad days. Some people are going to love him. A lot of people are going to hate him. And a sword's going to pierce through your heart. Calvin translates this line. The child is appointed for ruin and resurrection. That's the word for resurrection that we find here. The same child, this source of such great consolation for faithful Simeon, will be a source of hatred for others. Do you see what Luke is saying here? He's explaining the great mystery that Paul struggled with. Why doesn't Israel all be comforted by Jesus? Why doesn't Israel flock to its Messiah? Because it is as it ever has been. We are called to faith in the promises and in the fulfillment of the promises. And so Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's promises will bring about a time of decision for each and every one of us. And Mary's own soul will be pierced as with a sword. This child will force the question, who do you say that I am? Amidst all these songs and blessings and praises of Christmas, right? Our romantic Christmas... Well, we see a little bit in the Christmas carol, like there, there are good things and bad things, right? There is judgment in the Christmas carol, in that 19th century telling. But our romantic version of Christmas, is just all good for everyone, everywhere. We never think about Christmas as calling us to the question of faith in Christ. But the gospel confronts us. Why does Simeon, the comforted one, the consoled one, have such dark words for Mary? And the key here is to see that the Spirit spoke these words to Mary through Simeon in order to comfort her, in order to console her in the face of what was before her. Think of Mary's experience in these few chapters. A young maiden, about my daughter's age, 15 years old, was met by the angel Gabriel, who greeted her, and what did the angel Gabriel say? Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. God loves you. He has a wonderful plan for your life. When she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, she was again greeted with these wondrous words. You are blessed among all women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. The baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed are you because you believed. Pointing again there to her faith. And then at her son's birth, shepherds come glorifying and praising God. We just saw a choir of heavenly angels. Now Mary could be excused at this point for thinking that she kind of had it made. (laughs) She'd won the lottery. My child's going to be the king. It's like every proud mother wants their child to succeed, right? But her son was going to be in a position of power and authority. And he was going to be able to give her whatever she wanted. Mothers of kings did pretty well in the ancient world. She had heard nothing but health, wealth, and prosperity. That's what blessing was in an Old Testament framework. And what would you say that if... If I told you today that a prophet, an angel had appeared to me and you were all going to be incredibly blessed in 2023, this is going to be the best year of blessing ever in your life, you'd be pretty happy. But what would you think when you got in a car wreck on your way home from church? (laughs) A pastor doesn't know what the heck he's talking about. Or you got, you know, a notice for an audit from the IRS. Or you went home and, you know, the upstairs shower... This is life in a fallen world for me. You know, the upstairs shower shared by three members of our family, most of the time, gradually gets clogged with hair. And every six months or so, you've got to reach in and pull all the clogs out of the drain. It's life in a fallen world. The shower's not draining like it should. All the curses were lifted in this Christ child. And yet, the world we live in is still a pretty dark and sad place, isn't it? Psalms calls it a veil of tears even after the christ child has come and so what comfort do we take from christ this new year what comfort do we take into the new year because we know afflictions will still come and that's what simeon is telling mary and that's what simeon's telling all of us too for christians christ will be opposed and you as you follow in his footsteps will be opposed as well The gospel isn't about earthly blessings for the church, brothers and sisters. It's about suffering like your Lord Jesus Christ. And so Simeon brings Mary the word of the cross. You will be comforted in the midst of trials and affliction. It was a word that told her what Jesus would say in Luke 24. That the Messiah has to suffer before he enters his glory. And we too have to suffer before we enter that same glory These are Paul's words to the Corinthians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Who comforts us in all our affliction. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering. So through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. That's why Paul or James rather will say elsewhere. Rejoice in all your sufferings. For if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. Which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also will share in our comfort. And this is our only comfort in life and death. That we have a Savior who has suffered and died. And by redeeming us out from under our sins, we know that there is No more penalty for us to pay. That we have been set free to be at peace with God as we head into this new year. And we know that we share in the glory of our risen Christ. Even this day. And in days to come. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. Give us eyes to see your salvation. Our consolation. In the Christ child. We know our hearts are darkened. We know we long for specific outcomes in the shadows of this world. We pray, dear Lord, that you would set our hearts on heaven, that you would set our faith on Christ and our hope and confidence, our peace in him. We thank you that none of us who trust in him are under the condemnation of your law. We thank you that all of your promises are yes and amen in our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen and grow our faith this year that we might love you and our neighbor and serve you and our neighbor in honor and holiness and blessedness all the days of our lives. Amen.